everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Well, today I have the joy of talking with Judy Gary. She is a bold, vivacious, smart lover of God, and we share a common bond. We are sisters in Christ, of course, but like her sister Ann Bradley, who was on this podcast a while back talking about feminism in the church, Judy, like me and Anne, loves to study eschatology. She attends Chapel City Church in Camarillo. She's involved in young family ministry, and she's taught a weekly Bible study for 30 years. She's had six Bible studies published, and she's involved in the local Moms in Touch prayer ministry, mom-to-mom mentoring program, and an occasional retreat speaker. She and her husband are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary this year. Congratulations, Judy. They have five adult children and 16 grandchildren. And in all of that time, And in all that you do, you have had time to think (laughs) deeply about scripture and the signs of Christ's eminent return. Yeah. And we have three parts to this topic. Actually, we love this title. We came up with this title. It hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been this way in our culture and society. It hasn't always been this way in the environment. And it hasn't always been this way in the church. So welcome. So glad to have you. And and the reason this came about, we start talking about the things that we see happening in our world, lining up with scripture toward the return of Christ. And people say, well, you know, it's always been this way. And I think what they mean is we've always had wars and rumors of wars and mayhem and violence and plagues and some kind of tornado or earthquake, right? Or Mm -hmm. adultery or death. It's it's part of our fallen world. We live in a fallen world and that is the expectation, but things have changed. And like the scripture, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. Mm -hmm. So scoffers here, I guess, have a theory that everything sort of limps along in a homogenous way. And since nothing catastrophic has happened that they haven't seen with their own eyes, that means nothing ever will. Instead, Mm -hmm. everything in the universe is fixed and maybe in a cyclical pattern and it's just turning and it's gonna go on as is no divine judgment or supernatural intervention. But they willfully forget two things, right? The creation and the flood. The present world system is reserved for future judgment, which will come by the word of God in the same way the world came into existence Mm -hmm. and the flood. God did that. that, Uh And he will do that. Yes, he will. (laughs) So one of the very intriguing things about you, Judy, is that End times, or the last of the last days, as we like to say, has been an interest of yours for years. And I thought it so interesting that back in the 60s, you started clipping out newspaper articles (laughs) you thought interesting in relation to biblical prophecy. And you kept sort of a file, or I call it like an X-file, of what's happening (laughs) that piqued your interest. And that at some point, the information was coming so fast and furious that you had to kind of a 
abandon that because you couldn't even keep up That's with true. it all. So I'd love to hear about that. Maybe an example even of something that you cut out in the 60s <laughs> and then sort of your testimony and how all this got started. And then we'll tackle our first point of how we've seen things change in society and in our culture. Yes. I'll tell you, I was born in at uh, the end of 1947 and I did not hear anything about prophecy, particularly. I knew Jesus was coming back. There would be a second coming, but I didn't know anything particular or specific. And it wasn't until I was in college as a freshman in 1965 that I, one night um, I was sitting under a teacher who was teaching Bible prophecy, and it blew me away. I'd never heard the word rapture. I didn't know what they were talking about. I did not know anything. And I walked out of that lecture hall thinking, this is what I was born for. I knew it. And it was like such a, a complete turnaround for me in, when I read God's word. But my life, being born in 1947 at the end, was sandwiched right between the Roswell UFO appearance in July of that year and in May of 1948, having Israel form as a nation. Uh, my dad even saved the newspapers from the day I was born, and it was about the the terror fighting for the streets of Jerusalem with the terrorists as people were kind of duking it out to see who was going to get Israel. And of course, five months later, it, it, it was a nation in one day on May 14th. But basically, I, it really kicked in for me the summer of 1967, when so much changed in our culture overnight that I was stunned and grieved, really, because I could see the ominous cloud coming toward us. And it's like Matthew 20, uh, 21, no, 2434 says, the generation of the fig tree, which is the one that sees Israel come back as a nation, will be the one that sees all these things coming to pass. Right. So I was looking for these things to come to pass. And I had my little manila folders with files in them, and uh, I kept them up. Uh, some of the files I would use to teach them later on would have pictures of the UN or the, uh, the coming together of Europe, which I thought was amazing. You know, the, the European uh, Union was just formulating later, and it was like, wow, this is wild stuff. The globalism. It was coming in through mm -hmm. there, and it was the first, first inkling that I had that the world was going to come together. But of course, it wouldn't be America, because we were just too independent and patriotic. And of course, all of my files are so passe that it's not even worth keeping files. So that's where I, I kicked in with really thinking about how quickly things are changing. Mm -hmm. And when I think of things changing culturally and in our society, basically I'm looking at an overview from you know 10,000 feet. People born today or even, a, even that are 30 years old and less today, they have very little concept of things being changing. Um, your generation, a little bit more understanding, but my generation has seen things really change. And I'm, I'm shocked at how quickly things are escalating because it's like birth pangs. It's in, with increasing intensity and um, frequency. So we're seeing what began small in the 1950s and 60s burgeoning into huge issues and huge megatrends here in 2020s, it's, it's, and it's gaining momentum rapidly. Earlier you alluded to 2 Peter 3.3, 3, where it says that right in the middle of all this talk about prophecy and the last days, Peter says that 
there's going to come a time when people are going to mock the whole idea of thinking about things prophetic happening. And he says that they're going to scoff and say, where's the promise of his coming, as you said. And the reason they have trouble seeing that, according to Peter, is because they think that everything's staying just the same. And so the beauty of getting older, one of the great benefits, <laughs> the wonderful things about getting older is that you have perspective. And I used to hear old people say that and say, uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's true, especially the, now as we're watchmen on the wall right before the king returns. We are seeing what's going on. The older people can see clearly what younger people can't see. And so even things like, like we read in Daniel about where God tells Daniel that in the last days, at the end of time, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase in chapter 12, verse 4. So then even, yeah, the increasing knowledge I find so interesting, mm -hmm. especially since people are increasing in quote-unquote knowledge, but boy, they are not increasing in wisdom. That's going down while knowledge is going up. It, it's interesting, that word knowledge, it implies an understanding of prophecy. It implies more than just having information. Very interesting. But I look back at just the pure information from my lifetime. My parents had a set of encyclopedias in the house. That's where we would go to, because you know what? Information was not changing. Over millennia before, information was always the same. You could print it up in a book, sell those encyclopedias, and they'd be good for your entire child's life. And that's where you got your information. Right. Or you'd watch NBC or CBS every night, and they'd tell you the truth about everything in the world. Right. So you knew what was going on. And there were only a couple of television stations True. to tell you that, right? Yeah. There were very few stations. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing because the average household, um, they got their first TVs in the, in the 1950s. And um, all information was available now. You look at then versus now. I can pick up my little iPhone and have information worldwide on any topic I want instantly, it, which is astounding to me that we have the information. What's fascinating to me also, and you alluded to it, is that you may not have discernment or insight as to what the information means. And I, I rejoice when I meet kindred spirits who are able to be discerning of the times like the sons of Issachar. They knew what, what Israel should do because they were discerning of the times. Mm. And Jesus chided his followers and said, how in the world can you look at information, look at the sun, look at the sunset, and still not figure out the, the signs of the times? So we had the mainstream needy, uh, internet kicking in in the 90s, but I used to think... I would read in Revelation chapter 11 about the two witnesses in the street. And when I was younger, in the 60s, I'd think, well, now, how could the whole world be watching these two guys in the middle of the street in Jerusalem for, dead for three and a half days? How in the world could that happen? And I thought, well, maybe, maybe TV shows are out there. You know, we could watch, but not simultaneously. And people all over the world did not have television sets. Only the rich people had them in certain countries. Now, everyone in the backwoods of any country, in the tribes of Afghanistan, they have phones, right. and they can see everything simultaneously. This technology is astounding, and it's making the way paved for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Absolutely. So it's changing. And then we see things like drugs. Good night. Things change so rapidly with drugs. I... I, in the 60s, was in high school in the early 60s, and they would have locker checks. 
you know. I remember those too. <laughs> Do yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, without your permission, they'd go through your locker and make right. sure you didn't have contraband. And uh, the worst thing that could ever happen would be to have some cigarettes in your locker. That was like <laughs> taboo. Right. Suspension. Perhaps you could be expelled for something <laughs> so heinous. I know. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that was considered, boy, that's bad news. And, but now everything's legal. Pots, forget cigarettes. We're talking about everything's legal pretty much. Right. And we're headed toward, and I've thought this for a long time. I mean, I think we're headed toward, uh, things like heroin, Mm -hmm. et cetera, being Mm -hmm. legal. I mean, it, it, it almost is in a sense because they don't prosecute for it anymore. And I think the same way, mark my words, mark my words right here. You heard it here first on this podcast, (laughs) utterly astounded. I think they will have uh, shops for heroin, et cetera, the way that they have shops right now for marijuana. That's my prediction. You know, that fits right in with Bible prophecy. When it says in the last days that, that the people would not forsake their, it's, it's translated in most scriptures, sorceries. And you think, oh, they're in witchcraft. Well, there's that too. But if you look at the word sorceries in the Greek there in Revelation, it means it's pharmacia. Mm-hmm. It's drugs. Right. And they, they're using drugs continually. And so it's like they won't repent. That's a sign right before the end, before the Lord returns. The overuse and lack of repentance for the use of drugs all over the world. And that is happening mm-hmm. in spades. Mm-hmm. Another big area I've seen change over the last 60 years, because really I've been looking for 60 years and watching. What was interesting to me is that... Uh, People were immoral. They've always been immoral. Right. And sexually, even as a college kid, I, I was not aware of too much immorality in the, you know, 1965. Um, it was not uncommon, but certainly it was not approved of. It was kind of frowned, it was frowned upon, at least on the surface. But things have changed over time so drastically that the culture approves of premarital sex today. Right. Uh, that was absolutely verboten back in the 60s. I mean, people did it until the mid-60s. That was taboo. What happened was birth control became um, very widespread. Birth control pills were legalized in the early 60s. And so by the time 1967 rolled around, it was called the summer of free love. Right. The summer of love. And everyone free love because you can have be as immoral as you want and a girl will not get pregnant, you know, because of the pill. And so it revolutionized the way we, we looked at having sexual in, intimacy before marriage. The constraints were all off, and it was a wild, wild time and a wild change. Right now, if you ask people, um, is premarital sex, sex okay? If you were born before 1955, almost a, 28% will say it's okay. Even my generation will. I think we've been worn down. <laughs> we've been beaten down. Yep. <laughs> 28% would say it's okay. If you were born um, between 1955 and 1970, 46% of the people will say it's okay. So that's almost half of the people. Right. And if you were born um, between 1970 and 1990, 70% or 60% will say it's okay. But guess how many people say it's okay right now? How many? That doesn't surprise me. And what is amazing, the shocker to me, is that among mainline Protestant 
churches that consider themselves to be Christian, over half of them, well over half of them, the people in churches think it's okay. Which is stunning. Yes. Because really, how did we get to that mm-hmm. kind of conclusion? You know, it's so far afield of what mm-hmm. scripture teaches. It's interesting that in, in Timothy, he says, Second uh, Timothy 3, 1 to 5, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times are going to come. The word difficult means it's hard to bear and it's, it reduces our strength and it's, it's dangerous for us. Right. It says men are going to be lovers of self. They're going to be, it goes a whole list, lovers of money, unloving, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, the, and we're really out just to please ourselves right now. And that is so true. I mean, we see that yeah. everywhere. And in the 60s, the mantra was, if it feels good, do it. Right. Right. And uh, just don't hurt anybody else. Like, like you're going to Like you're not somebody. going to do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell yourself you're not going to. Right, right. And along with that sexuality came the whole idea of gender mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you might, people will say, well, things have always been this way. I'm here to tell you, in the 1950s and early 60s, I never even heard the word homosexual. I didn't know what that was. It, didn't, it was not even on the radar. It, it wasn't something people talked about. Today, of course, this is right in our faces, so much so that in Romans, he says there that in verses 25, chapter 1 and 32, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they, gave, they, exchanged, they also gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. So he gives them over to the lust of their flesh to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, and they approve of it with other people. And that, they, to me, is they so interesting. It. Right. When I read that, you know, I, that verse, and I thought, you know, this is startling because you, can see, you have so many pictures of people passing horrific bills, you know, like the, the late-term abortion bill and the, you know, anything that has to do with the homosexual or transgender agenda. And there are people, they film that happening and then there's all these people clapping and cheering and and I just think this is amazing because that is that prophecy Mm -hmm. coming true Mm -hmm. they're not just approving of it they are giving hearty approval just Mm -hmm. like God said Mm -hmm. that they would Mm -hmm. and right the the gender issue and the homosexuality this is so interesting because we're not talking a very long period of time where you just said I didn't even know what that was to having TV commercials with same-sex mm-hmm. couples mm-hmm. and television where you have same-sex couples mm-hmm. kissing on television. That's not a very long period of time it's for a, something to be totally verboten, like you said. Not only that, I mean, talking about I Love Lucy, which we were talking about a little while ago, <laughs> off air, if you will, uh, you know, in the 1950s, you couldn't say the word pregnant. You oh. had to say enchante or with child or something you couldn't say pregnant and of course married couples even slept in separate beds in the 1950s we've gone from that to this Mm -hmm. now how fast is that and how down the tunnel is that it went very rapidly and i think it's it's just interesting too that the whole androgynous and LGBTQ, et cetera, has become so mainstream and like the flavor of the month Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so accepted and so celebrated. And I sense this turn in society and pretty soon, again, mark these other words, I'm predicting this too, (laughs) that we're going to have 
what amounts to the Temple of Diana on the corner of Upland and Flynn. I mean, I think we're going to see mm -hmm. that kind of debauchery where, mm -hmm. where you used to go to houses of ill repute in the dark mm -hmm. <laughs> so nobody could see what you were doing. Yeah. It's going to be up on display in some kind of temple worship. Mm -hmm. I, I looked at the last statistics that I have seen uh, regarding LGBTQ, and it said Generation X identified this way, which is my generation, Generation X. 3.8% mm -hmm. maybe said that they were. Millennials, it jumped to 9.1%. Wow. And then the upcoming generation, Generation Z, it's taken a jump to 15.9%. But see, that's what happens when the restraints yes. are lifted. You know, it's like all bets are off. Yes. Right? It, it, that is quite a, a huge jump. But there's even another perver perversion to that jump. And that is um, calling themselves everything. I'm not a homosexual girl pretending to be a man. I'm everything. Mm -hmm. um, and to calling yourself they and we and uh, changing pronouns, it's, it's becoming very trendy. And I was just noticing in the clothing lines as I shop for grandchildren, I look yeah. at the, well, what are they wearing these days? It's like <laughs> nothing you want to wow. wear. <laughs> yeah. And so, but the andro androgynous clothing, it can be a man or a woman. I'm not really sure what it is. You mm -hmm. know, it could be mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, that's part, you see it reflected everywhere. And not only that, one thing I've talked about before that I think is so diabolical is that, and my husband said this, he said, there will come a time, and I think it's soon, where you will look at a magazine picture and you think you're looking at a female, but it's actually a male. Right. But you can't tell the difference. Correct. And I said, that is so awful because what they're doing, and this is the, this is the evil behind it, is that if you're a man looking through, this is what I imagine, if you're a man looking through a magazine and you see this beautiful woman in the magazine and you're thinking, oh, how attractive she is, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. And the truth is you're looking at a man and saying those things. That is truly evil because you're mm -hmm. deceiving, you're trying to deceive these Absolutely. people. It's, and it's just so awful. It, it is fulfilling as, again, Romans 1, where it says they gave up their natural function. That's right. And they're, they're doing something perverse. And as Timothy wrote, in the last days, you're going to see people with all kinds of perversions. They're going to be disobedient to their parents. They're going to be lovers of pleasure, just holding a form of godliness. They actually call it moral, more moral, more loving. They have That's a, true. That, that They flipped that then. Yes, they're they flipped a form it. of godliness. But they deny the power but thereof. They, exactly. And, and so they're calling all of these things moral. Good. Yeah, moral. they turned it on its ear. Right. We're the awful ones. Right. We're the immoral ones because we are not saying love is love. You're not loving them. Right, that's right. And so because you're not approving of them heartily and on their team, you're not allowed to disagree without being unloving. Right. And so um, that is a problem. That's what we're seeing, and it's escalating very rapidly. It is. And so it, it, we see that coming as a fulfillment of prophecy, the change in that area, and also the change in just what is truth, what is the, the lying I tell you, I remember going going to elementary school and you know hearing about wonderful President George Washington who would say, "I cannot tell a lie," and you think to yourself, 
Well, he might have told a little lie here and there when he was a kid, but he should he doesn't want to tell a lie because that'd be horrible. Right. He, does, he can't do that. <laughs> you know, no no good man would ever lie. But then as time went on, here I will never forget 1972 to 74, the Watergate scandal. We had President Nixon, who was a conservative, claimed to know the Lord in the White House, but he had tapped the other guy's um, his opponent's phone lines. And then, you know, that was illegal. You can't do that. And so he lied about it. And as a, the end result was that he lied to the nation, got on TV and lied, you know, said he didn't do it. But then he, re- he had, in 1974, he had to step down and resign. But now, can you imagine if you lie? People in America were incensed that somebody would lie to the public. Now, can you imagine somebody getting upset over someone telling a lie? It's so common I don't know about you, but I can't even watch the evening news without wondering, well, what is a lie and what is true anymore? Do right. I even know? Do I even know? And it's so true. And I think about even with Clinton, you know? Oh, yeah. Right? From Nixon to Clinton, there was a big jump <laughs> yes. because people accepted that. they mm-hmm. He lied. He lied about Monica Lewinsky, but then mm-hmm. that was okay with a ton of people. I mean, yes. they just accepted that so much so that he continued to be president and even... even his popularity went up. We see the mainstream media lying constantly, but they won't, they never call it a lie. I, I, you know, they call they've renamed it, relabeled it. So it's not sin and it's not a lie. It's just called disinformation. And so you've got, you see the culture is breaking down incrementally and just looking at it from way up high and getting a perspective. When you see a current event happen, if you can keep it in the context of how rapidly things are changing at breakneck speed, you can see the trajectory of where we're headed very quickly. If you have a graph with, you know, uh, with a line going out, a little incremental difference is not big initially. But the further out the timeline goes, the more huge that trajectory is becomes, and it's so obvious to everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It becomes so obvious that people will deny that it's even there. But... Thank the Lord for people in our culture who can look and say, the trajectory is not looking good. (laughs) (laughs) We can see what's happening. And then as you look at current events, you can put them in the context of this is what the Bible says. This is, he told us this was going to happen. Right. And I think too, I just, I'm always watching the lawlessness increasing. I mean, the lawlessness increasing. The NYPD reported a 350% increase in murders for... The week, as they were doing, you're talking about graphs, Mm -hmm. from the same time uh, a few years ago. Like, statistics are showing that the shootings are up 166% in April compared to April 2020. In Chicago, the most recently available crime statistics show that murder was up 56% from April 26th to May 2nd compared to the same time last year. Wow. And in L.A., murders year-to-date as of May 8th were up 30.9% from the same time last year. Mm-hmm. So, and then something has, let's see, and while reports of shots fired incidents, this is just people going around shooting. I keep hearing about this just blatantly in broad daylight. Yeah. It's increased 58% and the number of shooting victims was up 67.2% from the LAPD statistics. This is outrageous stuff. And it... I, it, it's astounding if you stop and think about how rapidly things are changing. And it's dangerous. It, it just goes right around wh- with what Scripture says. In the last days, perilous times are going to come. Difficult times are going to come. You're going to be scared. 
you're going to be cautious in a way you weren't, uh, you know, 50 years ago. You That's exactly right. I mean, I talked to my mom the other day about going for a walk. She said, I'm just going to go for a walk. And you know, I'm thinking sometimes that with all that's happening, just walking around my block, am I even safe to do that? Now, she's 81, and she would never have thought that. Even, no. even 20 years ago, she no. wouldn't have thought that. No, I was out. I'd go out by myself. Sure. Walk around the neighborhood at night, go around the block just for fun. Never dawned on me. And even when our children were in college in the 90s, I wasn't terrified for them. But things cha- changed very, very rapidly. Absolutely. That. And it was that's you hit that trajectory where you realize things are out of control. The lawlessness increasing. Basically, the way the only way we can reduce the numbers, for example, of what you just said is basically they're just changing the um, the definition of what is lawless. Like, well, there's so many people getting arrested for smoking marijuana. Let's just make it legal, and then we don't have any more crime. It, that's uh, well, what they're doing. Okay. Right. That's exactly right. That doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> it just relabels it. Right. But it's all there in front of us. That's such a good point. Yeah, it's all there. And you see the lawlessness, the disobedience to parents, mm-hmm. all of these things you think, well, is that really prophetic? It is. Absolutely. And it is measurable. That's why these numbers mean something. We can measure it. We can see it. It's just not old people waving a flag and saying, boy, but things were better back in the good old days. It really was different in the good old days. Right. Sin was still there. Sure. But it was not as well accepted or affirmed. Right. Today it's affirmed and celebrated. That's right. Just looking at the family, my goodness. You know, I wondered for years, I'd read the end of Malachi. I love Malachi. And one of the last things he says in chapter four is uh, the hearts of the children and the fathers um, will have to be coming back together. It says, basically, you see a picture of combative families. The hearts of the fathers, he says, if the hearts of the fathers and the children aren't brought back together, you know, he's going to smite the land with a curse kind of a thing. And it's like, wow, do we see any breakdown in relationships in the family? I would have to say yes. I concur. (laughs) I I studied sociology in college and have a degree in that. And that's always been my bent, looking at the culture through the eyes of of somebody who wants to measure it, and uh, but seriously, my own gut feeling looking at the change is enough. But the numbers support it too. Did you know that in the 1950s, I didn't know anybody whose parents were divorced. There were very few divorces even in like 1976. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not definitely not the rule. Right. It was the exception even then. Yeah. It, it thinks that when you look at it, roughly 2% of marriages might get divorced in the 1950s. That was rare. In 1970, when divorce laws loosened, it was there were no constraints on getting a divorce, no-fault divorce. But f- things changed so rapidly and escalated from that point on. From 1970 until 19, or 2020, over half of the families, at least in our country, and maybe more in others, are are divorced. But I don't even think those numbers are really accurate because the majority of people that I see today, even older people, I'm, I'm stunned, they aren't getting married. They just live together. So a divorce doesn't show up on paper there. Right. There's no statistic for that. Right. They just, uh, so how many families are really affected by conflict and the breakdown of the family? 
it is way more than half. I would probably say 80% of the families I know are, are broken in, the, in that way. Same. So I keep thinking, just looking at life from my perspective, I keep going back to 1967. I was in a car that summer driving back from a, a class at a, 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 um, that I had for summer school. And just I had the radio on, and I was thinking about the Lord's return and um, what began as labor. I knew we were in labor. I knew the Lord was coming soon, but I felt like the water was breaking. It was like suddenly, if you've had children, it's like you're in labor for a while, and then the water breaks. Now, I don't know if this is, it just felt like something big just happened in 1967. And of course, you know what happened in June that year? was the Six-Day War in Israel. The reunification of, um, of, of Jerusalem as a city, and of course the Temple Mount was taken over by Israel. And if you think about it, that was the first time in two and a half thousand years that they were in control of that. That's a long That's time. That's a long time, it's very interesting. A long time. One of the examples of the world really changing can be seen in music, and we have to be so careful what we listen to. The lyrics are not only representative of, of where the culture is, but they're forging the direction of the culture. So listen carefully to the music out there. Interestingly, right now, there's no music that you can nail as the music of this to be heard. There's, it's just chaotic. It's everywhere. Everything's available. There's no one type of music that everyone's listening to. It's just you do you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in 1971... John Lennon came out with a song called Imagine. And that song, the lyrics to that song, really are like the constitution of where you're headed as a culture, with John Lennon singing these words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. It's such a creepy song. Creepy. It's creepy. And you know, something that drove me to distraction about this song, interestingly enough, is when COVID began, there was a group of Hollywood actors who did a virtual sing-along, if you will, to help everyone feel better about the impending doom that we were all <laughs> told was coming to our doorstep. And I remember watching it, and I said to my husband, this is so typical of the world. You pick the most depressing, hopeless, humanistic, self-centered, Marxist, nihilistic song you can, <laughs> and then you assume that, that's what we all need to hear. <laughs> it's, their, it's their anthem. You know, it's their anthem. But this, it, it became a classic. And it's mm -hmm. classic for a good reason, yes. because it's basically classic godless poetry. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is imagine. 
create your own autonomous world where everyone does whatever they want and you don't have to answer to anyone. And nobody cares about possessions because we all have this one goal and we're all going to be so nice to each other. We're going to share. We're going to share. We're going to have no sin in nature. No. 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 Because we're inherently good. <laughs> yeah. And we always share everything that we have. And we're we, all so happy. And we're, yeah. <laughs> So. You might say I'm a dreamer, but you know what's interesting? It is embedded in our hearts as in made in God's image that we have a world where there's harmony and love. Absolutely. And the coveting isn't there anymore. And we aren't fighting all the time. Right. And we have a leader who is loving and benevolent. That's the millennium. That's Thank Jesus you. Guess coming. what? <laughs> it's actually true, but, but not tr- the way you think so. I know. Yeah. With, when we try to make it happen, we are on a downward spiral. That's right. We have, to, we have to bow, release our plans, and look up. But I see all of this as you look at the cultural and societal changes over the last 60 years. From my perspective, I see it, and it just takes me straight back to Genesis chapter 3. Mm-hmm where I see the first time that culture changed in the garden. And that was when Satan sneakily came to Eve and he had, he had four basic questions, you know, that I'll cover right here. One, to question God's truth. Did God really say that? And we hear that all the time today. Did, did the Bible, does the Bible really say that? And then you go to the second one, and then they will take God's word out of context or all misquote, the time and misquote they, it. That's right, misquote it. And that's happening all around us. Mm-hmm. And then the, Satan lied about death because Eve said, well, well, we'll die. And he said, oh, you're not going to die. And that's a lie about, well, they are immortal. <laughs> they are going to live, you know. But lying about eternity. Right. We see that they everywhere. lying about mm-hmm. eternity. Mm-hmm. And the last promise is that you will be like God if you do it this way. And that's what the world is buying into in a way that was not at all common. We are escalating quickly and everything is converging in our culture to lead us right to the throne of the Antichrist and bow down at his throne. And that's what we're seeing. There is a satanic plan afoot. And this is back in the 70s, I think in early 80s, the term new age movement was coined it's a political and economic outgrowth of the cultural change in us and really in our whole world but we can see it in our culture the method of the new age movement is to deconstruct society and culture piece by piece brick by brick you can see that as i've gone through all these points is brick by brick piece by piece and you can see it very clearly now. Our spiritual foundations are being dismantled and deconstructed brick by brick. And with this method, there's an overriding purpose that, that God is not really glorified. It glorifies man. There's a call, a real mantra, a big uh, cheer of the New Age movement that we would call it. And it's, let's all come together and be as one. Right. And you see that in the Tower of Babel where God had to come and intervene in Genesis 11, he had to stop it. And he know he's going to stop it this time too. Right. Because we're headed straight for Babel. Right. And it is going to be an interesting thing to watch, a sad thing to watch, but a necessary thing to watch. And as a believer, believing in the literal word of God, it's an exciting thing to watch. The Lord tells us, 
when you see these things begin to happen, okay, we're seeing the beginnings. Absolutely. They are beginning and we are gaining momentum hourly on this planet. When you see these things begin to happen, straighten up. Don't be bowed over and say, oh, things are getting really bad. I think, you know, I'm depressed. No. Straighten up. Lift up your head. Focus on the Lord. Look to the Lord. Straighten up. Lift up your eyes. Your redemption's drawing near. Amen. Well, Judy, that was a great conversation about the cultural and societal changes that we see happening. And so thank you so much for all of that. And we are going to talk next about the environment and the environmental changes. So thanks so much, everybody, for listening and tune into our next session. Mm -hmm.